Just before I, uh, I, I speak this morning, I want to mention something that we're going to be doing just a little bit differently at the end of this service and services to come for uh, the course of the series that I'll be preaching uh, over the next little while. Uh, we're going to offer you uh, an opportunity to be prayed for at the end of, of these services. Um, we're going to have a prayer station here today and one here and then one at the back, uh, which you can access if you wish. We're going to have communion by intinction. That means you will come forward as we sometimes do. You'll be invited to come forward. And uh, right after you receive communion here, if you wish to have prayer, you can go straight to one of those prayer stations. And please remember the one at the back so that we don't get too, too crowded in any one spot. Um, there's going to be a prayer team member or members, uh, two people to pray in each station where we can uh, today and in the coming weeks we'll have elders pray with you also we've had some illness among the elders who agreed today so it, there'll be fewer of the elders uh, the rest will be serving communion uh, we want you to know that whatever you pray for or ask for prayer it'll be held in strict confidence so that these people do this all the time uh, receive and pray for people in confidence um, and uh, we would encourage you to do it as I'll speak to uh, in the end uh, but what we're going to do in most instances is have our final song sung, as we normally do. And in the future, we'll be inviting you to come to these prayer stations during that, uh, the singing of that song. And if there are still people praying when the song ends, we're just going to quietly be dismissed and quietly leave this auditorium so that that prayer can carry on. Um, so if you have questions about that, certainly ask. Uh, we are having communion today, and... Um, um, you will be, if you're new here, which you always try to mention this, you will be directed about how to come to the front. Essentially, you'll be asked to walk in a circle from where you are back to your seat one way or the other, but that'll be made abundantly clear to you. And uh, uh, it's a bit of an interactive service we're having today, huh? And again, only come if you wish. If you prefer to remain seated and receive communion, an elder will bring the elements to you. So there you go. Do I have your attention? Are you intrigued? I hope so. Well, we are beginning a new series uh, today, and the new series is all about experiencing God. Do you believe you can experience God? Um, my sense is that we sang, especially that, that last song, we were experiencing the presence of God's Spirit here. We can experience the Lord, and that's what this is all about. The series is going to be called The Presence and the Power. Now, I want to suggest that that it's possible not only to experience God, but for all of us to experience God more. And if that indeed is the case, what we're going to be talking about is change. Change. In terms of your understanding of being in relationship with the Lord. In my, my growing up years, I don't know how many of you will identify with this, but in the Reformed tradition, which Presbyterians are, experiencing God was not really very important. Can you, can you resonate with that? Do you get that? What was important was knowing God in your mind, knowing the truth of God, really, really important. Uh, but, I, but actually experiencing him was to some degree suspect. The idea, uh, you know, to, to, to um, experience God for the sake of experiencing God and for, for our own sake to have this, this, this experience that was different and alive and very real, but for my sake sort of frowned on as opposed to the idea of experiencing God potentially for God's sake and his glory. I, th I still think that's a reality. I think that's a, a truth that we have to guard against. You know, it was suspect because of emotionalism. You are being way too emotional compared to the rational side of things. 
Reformed Christians, they're heavy on the rational side. They're not that heavy on the emotional side, historically. Um, so really what was critical for me was knowing Scripture and knowing the truth about God. As a result, the focus was on God the Father and God the Son. Anybody resonating with this? But not so much in God the Holy Spirit. We heard about the Spirit, but that's not where the focus lay. Um, but of course, it's the Holy Spirit that we will experience if we experience God. God the Father is enthroned in heaven. Jesus Christ, the risen, crucified one, sits at his right hand, literally. And if we're to experience God in this life, we will experience the Spirit of God among us. Well, the result for me was not that I didn't encounter God, but it was more limited than it has been in, in the, you know, the last you know, couple of decades. As I've grown in my faith, a change has come to where I began to experience the Spirit of God in profound and in life-changing ways. Um, and that helped me realize that much of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of the life of Jesus, is simply people experiencing God in Jesus. Think about this. You know, last uh, fall I spoke, a, uh, gave a sermon, preached a sermon on Mark 4, Jesus calming the water, you know, peace be still, and so forth, and the, the wind died down, and the, calm, the sea grew calm, and people were amazed at what Jesus had just done, those who were afraid and terrified and afraid of drowning in that boat. My friends, that went well beyond people being told about the truth of God to them actually experiencing the reality of God. Jesus could have said, I have the power to, to calm the sea. Not much impact would have happened. But they experienced Jesus calming the sea. And they moved from fear to awe. The experience grabbed them and changed their lives. You know, the three stories which follow in Mark 5, and I'm going to be moving in this direction in this series, are three people experiencing Jesus in power. The Spirit of God working through him. The demonized man, uh, the beginning of chapter 5, that Jesus set free from evil. It was a powerful, beautiful moment in his life. Then comes the woman with that uh, internal bleeding. For 18 years, she had struggled and suffered, and she was healed. She encountered the power of God flowing from Jesus as, he, as she reached out and touched his garment. And then there's the overcoming of death, Jairus' little daughter being raised in life. What an encounter of the presence and the power of God happened in, in, in the lives of both the parents and of the little girl. You know, when you can go on and on, you think about the blind man who was healed so that he could see, the lame man who could walk. It's not that far now, we're not that far from Christmas. And we focused on Mary again and her experience of Christmas. What was the Christmas experience for Mary that first time if it was not an experience of God? You know, God coming by his angels, speaking into her life, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, overshadowing her so that she became pregnant with Jesus. My goodness, that's what it was. You know, the 5,000 people who heard Jesus speak and then were fed miraculously because of the power of God being present and active in Christ's life. My friends, these are all experiences of God that were profound and life-changing. Experiencing the presence, capital P, and the power, capital P, of God. Now, a lot of Christians, a lot of Jesus followers experience God at conversion. As we'll discover, you cannot become a Christian without the presence and the power. The Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in what's called regeneration. 
as people come to see and to believe in Jesus and being choose, choose to receive him into the life and follow him. Um, but if our only experience of God is in our conversion, what, how would you describe a life, a life of a sincere Jesus follower if they only encounter the spirit of God when they first receive Christ? I've thought about this a little bit. You know, you might have words or adjectives in your mind that would describe it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you one, and I hope it has a little bit of punch. Because the word that has, has, has settled in my mind is that such a person will live a deficient Christian life. They're going to be missing out significantly on something that is incredibly good and incredibly important and something that God desires for them. So today what we're going to do is and look at two texts, and in this series we're going to look at various ways to encounter God. And then you're going to have an opportunity to have prayer given for you by gifted people who are gifted in intercession and so forth that God might work in a new way in your life. We're going to look at two texts today. The first is Acts chapter 1, and the second is Acts chapter 2. Really significant texts when it comes to understanding God present to us and his, his work and what potentially can happen in our lives. So, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. See the, the, the double emphasis? Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. You hear it? He proved to them that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. My friends, I want to suggest to you, this, this is the experience of Jesus that these Christians, early Christians, encountered. Here, here is 40 days worth of convincing proofs that Jesus was alive. They just didn't hear about him. They didn't just think about him. They encountered him alive. They experienced him speaking to them, teaching them, loving them. It's no wonder that these people were passionate about Jesus in the stories which follow because of what they encountered. Verses 4 and 5, let's go on. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. My friends, you know... <laughs> In that, 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 that focus, that thing that Jesus is describing is the, the idea of a promised gift to be given by God to his people. The spirit of God himself. Not just to know about and believe in the Holy Spirit, but a gift to be given and a gift to be received. An encounter, an experience. Verses 6 through 9. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They're still thinking political kingdom. Spirit hasn't come yet. They haven't understood. And they're not going to until the spirit moves in power. He, Jesus, replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, 
in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, key phrase there, you will be given power. Think of it. You will be given power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I want to tell you too, my friends, not only was that their experience in chapter 2, which we're about to read, it can be our experience too. Power given to be used to accomplish the things of God. Now, let's, uh, let's move to chapter 2 um, and, and see what it has to, has to say about what actually happened when that gift was given and received, when the power of God by his spirit fell upon these people. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. Oh, sorry, wrong chapter. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came. Picture it. A violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Perthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. How is it, they're asking one another, that these Galileans, rough, uneducated people, that's what Galileans were known as, how is it that they are speaking to us in these multiple languages? It doesn't make sense. They were bewildered. Even later on to the point of people accusing the early Christians filled with the spirit of being drunk. It just didn't make sense to them. They didn't understand. I want to tell you, my friends, in that moment, these people experienced the presence and the power of God. These people who were speaking in another language. Again, think about it. They were together and they were in prayer waiting for the gift to come and a violent wind tore through that place. I've never really been struck by that word violent before. This was no small breeze. This was a powerful, if you would, hurricane-like wind that would have been shocking for people to experience. Then it says tongues of fire or what seemed to be tongues of fire. It's mystery. It wasn't fire, but it seemed like that. They, it, they came and they rested on each of these people. Can you imagine being one of them? The Spirit of God coming, and that's the symbol of his presence. And they began to speak in these tongues, these different languages that they, had, they hadn't been taught. This is a miraculous experience because of the presence and the power of God upon their lives. And because of this, these people were changed and they went out to tell everybody about what they had learned about and experienced of God in Christ. What a change. You know, before they're terrified, now they're courageous. Before they had doubts and confusion, they didn't understand. Now they have confidence in what Jesus was about. Before they were powerless to do anything, running away, hiding. Now the power of God has come upon them. Before they were being told about God's reality, now they're telling others about God's reality. Before they're watching Jesus do ministry, <clears throat> here they step into doing ministry for the first time as they are called by God to do so. 
Think about Peter, this, this, this man with the huge potential who became one of the pastors in the Jerusalem church as it was established. But he went from being a man who literally was trying to talk Jesus out of going to the, to the cross. He literally tried to convince Jesus not to do what he had come to the earth to do, to free us from sin and its power to becoming a man who stood up after this experience later in the chapter where he preached this sermon where he had come to understand why Jesus had come and who Jesus was who Jesus was and what it was required for these people to repent and to receive Christ so much so that 3000 people in one day became followers of Jesus do you see what the presence and the power did to these people what it had done to Peter See, something had changed in their lives because of the experience of the Holy Spirit of God. I want to ask you this question. <clears throat> I'm going to push a few buttons again. I hope. Is it possible to live, and I put in quotes, a godless Christianity? What do you think? Is it possible to live a godless Christianity? Well, I'm going to read 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. It says this. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. My friends, it is possible to have a godless Christianity. To be people who go through the motions of whatever religious tradition that they may be a part of, worship on a Sunday morning, pray, to, to have the form of godliness but not the reality, not the power of the Spirit of God upon them. What about people who actually are believers, people who have been converted, people who have a sincere faith? I want to tell you, my friends, it's possible to be in that place, but to go forward from that place, having once experienced the presence and the power of God's Spirit so that you came to believe, but to not experience it very much anymore so that the lives of these people don't resemble so much the Christians in Acts chapter 2. <laughs> you know, not changed, not empowered, not passionate for Jesus and his kingdom, believing but no desire to tell others, still fearful rather than confident. My friends, I want to tell you that is not how God intends us to live in relationship with him. So here's my suggestion for this series. We can know God and we can experience the Lord by his spirit in an ongoing way, in a spiritually filled and powerful and dynamic way with God. Let me put it to you this way. The spirit of God is here right now he promises to be when we gather together. He is willing to move and to act 
in you, in us, in me. He has a role to play in our lives that can be incredibly significant, important, and good. And I want to tell you, he wants to act in such ways in us and through us so that the power of God might flow. Again, I'm giving reference in some part to the sermons that are upcoming, but he wants to work in us so that we are converted. He wants to work in our circumstances. He wants to work to free us from evil. He wants to bring healing into our life as he chooses. Ultimately, he wants to help us overcome death, and there'll be more. Question is this, and I, I would love you to seriously contemplate this question both now and later. Do we really want to know the presence and the power of God in our lives? Do we want to know the presence and the power of God in our lives? Put another way, my friends, do you want more of God than what you have known? I'm going to read Psalm 144, verse 5. This is a verse that... And the beginning phrase of it, actually, that, I, that God gave to me in, in the summer, in my holidays. And um, I have prayed it ever since, almost daily, as a prayer for our church. I took this to our elders, the first meeting that we had in January, and I gave it to them. And now we are praying all through this year, this prayer, uh, a prayer that flows from this verse. And it's the, it's the first, uh, first phrase there, which says, Part your heavens, Lord and come down part your heavens Lord and come down the NLT New Living Translation is the one that I really latched onto. it says open the heavens Lord and come down um, what do you think your life would be like if God opened the heavens in a new way and came down by his spirit into your experience to change you what would it be like? What would our church be like if God opened the heavens and came down among us like he did in the first church, if you would, in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2? What would it be like? What would happen? What would be different? <laughs> what would happen, my friends, if God poured out his spirit upon us? Would your life look different than it is now? Would our church look different than it is at the moment? I want to read to you Joel chapter 2, 28. Famous verse from Joel. It's probably the one verse that all of us are familiar with from Joel. It says, and afterwards, after what Joel has just described as a prophet of God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will, will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. You see, my friends, this was a prophecy that was filled in Acts chapter 2 when God poured out his spirit on his people. And they went, as I've described, from fear to courage and doubt to confidence. And they went from watching God acting through Jesus to God acting through them. When they, they became people who could proclaim the reality of Jesus effectively and powerfully so that literally in one day, think about it, thousands of people naturally predisposed to not trust in Christ, did so. It was a remarkable movement of the Spirit of God. And I want to tell you, my friends, I can't but help 
to believe with all of my heart that God wishes to pour out his spirit upon us and upon you and upon me. But we need to ask. Here is the one truth that doesn't arise naturally or obviously out of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. We can't make that happen on our own. <laughs> we can't make God pour out his spirit on us. We can't somehow manage to get to the place where those Acts chapter 2 Christians were transformed by the Spirit of God. No human being can do that. Only the Spirit of God can do in the lives of God's people what God did in Acts chapter 2. But the one thing that we can do, if we want more of God, if we want to experience the presence and the power of God, the one thing that we can do is ask God for more of himself by his Spirit. So we're going to have prayer teams. Um, we're going to have people at the front today, and it's quite a generic prayer that they will be praying for you. There's not much need for conversation, at least this morning. They're just going to be there to pray that you would know more of God. They're going to be there to pray that God would open the heavens and come down into your life and into the life of our church. They're going to be there to pray that God would pour out his spirit upon you if that's what you want. And then they and we will simply trust God to act as he chooses. Now, I want to make this comment. Um, we used to have abide nights here, Sunday nights, monthly worship, pray, lots of singing praise. And in nearly all of those events that I went to, the prayer team was there and prepared to offer prayer for those who gathered. And we would have, I'm guessing, 50 to 70 people each night. My experience was when that prayer was offered, generally people did not request prayer. They didn't go for prayer. Now, I'm not here to pat myself on the back, but I would say the majority of times I was at those events, and I didn't always go, but the majority of times I was there, I went for prayer. You know why? <laughs> I am absolutely convinced that in, that in those moments, there is potential for God to move in my life by answering the prayer which I requested of those people who were ready to pray for me. And I was not willing to pass up an opportunity to see God do something I needed done. Whether it was in my own life or a family member's life or in the life of the church. But while I would go for those times for prayer, and I'm not boasting here, like I'm just not, but I asked myself sincerely the question on more nights than not, <laughs> Why do people not go and have these people who are gifted in intercession to lift them up before the Lord and to ask God in heaven to meet their need? <laughs> I thought, surely it can't be that they don't have important issues in their life that need prayer. And I, that's just not a possibility. And I thought, do people not believe? In the power of prayer? Is that why people don't go? I got to tell you, in the end of the day, I didn't have an answer for it. I just, I just didn't know. But here's what I want to tell you. 
When we come into the presence of God and we pray according to his will in the name of Jesus, God answers prayer. He promises to do that. And I want to tell you this, if you want more of God, that's a prayer that is prayed in the will of God because he wants that for you. Prayer makes a huge difference in our lives. And I want to suggest to you, my friends, that when we offer you these times of prayer, maybe not every Sunday, certainly when you're led to do so by God's Spirit, that you take the opportunity to have people who are gifted in intercession take you into the presence of God and pray on your behalf that God works in the specific way that we're addressing each Sunday morning. And particularly today, if you want more of God, if you want to experience and encounter the presence and the power, if you want to be like those Christians who experience something dramatically and radically different and miraculous even in their lives, go to one of these prayer stations and simply be there. It's a statement of faith. God will honor your courage and just get into his presence. Locate yourself in that, in that place and just say, would you pray for me? Because you don't even need to say this. People today will know why you're coming. Just by your very presence, people will know that you are there because you want more of the presence and the power of God in your life. You want to experience the spirit of God in a new way. Now, I don't know, we don't know how many of you will choose to do that. But I'm encouraging you, obviously, today and in the weeks to come to do so my friends we can live and I'm going to push the button again we can live a deficient Christian life barely encountering the reality of the presence and the power of God's spirit if we wish tons of people do it or we can come to that place in our lives as God chooses, simply because we've asked, where we know his movement by his spirit within us and through us so that we know his presence and so that we know his power. And I'm here to ask today and over these next weeks if you want more of that. I would encourage you to engage so that you might know the reality of God in your life, not just know about him, but know his reality in a profound, life-changing way. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you, and uh, my goodness, Lord, there's so much more that each of us could know of you. It doesn't matter where we are in our journey of faith, in our process of growing in faith. God, we can know more of your presence, not just in our mind, but in our experience as your Holy Spirit moves in us. Lord, we believe with all of our heart the Spirit has the same, same desire to act today that he did 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Lord, that there's nothing different there in his heart. He wants to touch his people. He wants to fill his people. He wants to use his people in powerful and real ways. And God, our prayer today is that through the course of this series that your people, Lord, will step into something new of you. That they'll move maybe from knowing about God to encountering God. They'll come to that place through their experience where they are passionate for you and for your kingdom. And where they are used in powerful ways to see your will done. So, Lord, as we go to communion and then as 
people have opportunity for prayer, we, we just ask that those who desire this would have the courage just to go to one of these prayer stations. Uh, that the ministry of God might be given to them in prayer. That the Spirit of God might move in their lives. So Lord, lead us this morning. Lead us as a church through this series. Take us to a new place. As we look to you, Lord, as we call upon you, and as we serve you. This we pray in Jesus' name.